So I believe the love that God has for me, and I believe the love that God has for you in Christ. And I believe the blood of Jesus is enough for me, and I believe the blood of Jesus is enough for you. So instead of standards of excellence and of good behavior and of steadfastness and faithfulness and and being loving and true and perfect and all that being what we look for in each other. Instead, we, we look for grace. Therefore Now Ministries presents the following message by me, Jim McNeely. I'm the director of Therefore Now Ministries and a teaching pastor at Dakota Creek Christian Center in Blaine, Washington. This is podcast number three and is entitled Grace and Community, Grace and Relationship in the Book of First John. It was recorded on July 23, 2013 at Dakota Creek Christian Center in Blaine, Washington. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. I, I just lean completely on you. And we put no confidence in our own insights or in our own cleverness or our own uh, intelligence or, or experience or the scholarship of uh, proud men, you know, but we don't, even, we don't even put our confidence in not listening to scholarship either because you've made everything in its place. Lord, we, we, we come to you and seek your grace and your favor. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the things it has to say to us. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus, and solely through your mercy, which is our only, only claim, that you'll teach us together and speak to us and show us things about loving each other and walking in love and being authentic and true with each other in your sight and teach us in a fresh, living, new way about the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins and cause us to understand these things in a new, in a living, uh, in a fresh, in an eternal way. You know, and Lord, we put no confidence even in how wonderfully authentic we are. We are a bunch of phonies and fakes, except that you have granted us the liberty to be set free from those things. So make all of this truth to us and teach us things that we never knew and give us a child's mind, a beginner's mind tonight. Lord, to see everything with fresh eyes and with a fresh heart. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. All right. Okay. So this is our second session of six sessions on 1 John. Glad y'all are here. And uh, so I want to start... By reviewing what we did last week a little bit, so I'll I'll ask them, it's kind of a pop quiz, all right? So, um, 1 John was written by who? John. Who? Peter. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, it was written by John, and what's the distinctive about John that, that we talked about? He was there. He walked with Jesus. He was an eyewitness. He, he knows. And we're going to get into that in a little more detail tonight. Okay. Who was the book of 1 John written to? Those that sin. Those Sinners. Danger of sinning. Danger of sinning. All of us. The church. The church. To believers, right? And it's not written to any like city. It's not like the Corinthians. So he's not dealing with specific problems. He is kind of speaking 
to us, to the whole church, uh, anyone who's a believer that is a sinner and in danger of sinning, that's a believer in Jesus and is born of God. Okay, so why, why did John write the book? Fellowship. True? Joy completed. Joy completed. And there's a clue. Yeah, so that we will know that we have eternal life. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Assurance. Okay. Amen. All right. So according to me last week, and I hope according to the Holy Spirit, what is the main idea? What's the main theme of 1 John? What are we going to keep coming back to over and over? For who? Us. Right. Right. It's written, the main theme, I'm calling it grace and community. So it's to believe the love that God has for us. And to experience the grace in our relationships. Yeah, right. So I believe the love that God has for me, and I believe the love that God has for you in Christ. And I believe the blood of Jesus is enough for me, and I believe the blood of Jesus is enough for you. So instead of standards of excellence and of good behavior and of steadfastness and faithfulness and 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 being loving and true and perfect and all that being what we look for in each other. Instead, we, we look for grace, right? We're okay with each other not being perfect. And we're going to delve into that quite a bit too, all right? Uh, does anybody, this is the last question like this, would anyone remember other themes we talked about, other things to kind of watch for as we're reading First John? Love is a huge thing. So we've got love. Kim, go ahead. The power of belief. The power of belief, right? That's cool. The mind and knowledge. Mind and knowledge. Propitiation. The propitiation, very prominent. Satan and the world. Satan and the world are a huge theme in First John. And we talked about eternal life and forever love already. Say that again. Eternal life and forever love. Oh, eternal life and forever love. Yeah, right? And the Trinity. And the Trinity is very prominent in 1 John. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all very prominently in 1 John. Let's take a pause here, and I'm going to read, like, pull out your Bible or your electronic reading device that has the Bible on it, and let's read chapter 1 together. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld in our hands handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. All right. So, John 1, 1 through 4. Um, first, it's good to notice that it is an eyewitness 
who is proclaiming the message here. He says, what, what our eyes have seen, what our hands have handled. He's saying we saw Jesus. We walked around with him. We touched him with our hands. He was a real life, true human being. It wasn't a myth because we walked around with him. You know, um, he wasn't a ghost. He was a real human being. And I think this is a really important point because the things that, that, that John, who was an eyewitness, goes on to talk about, he talks about that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. You know, and this is a guy that walked around during all of Jesus' ministry and saw his miracles and heard his teachings firsthand and saw him uh, crucified. And the Apostle John was actually there with uh, Jesus' mother at the crucifixion and, um, and saw Jesus resurrected. And so John doesn't have this chasm that we imagine between the gospel of Jesus dying for our sins and this kind of gospel of Jesus's life. You know, you've like there's a book by John MacArthur called The Gospel According to Jesus. And he says, well, now the gospel according to Jesus says that it's very important that we follow Jesus's teaching and live a perfect life in, in, uh, in, in all of this. And we're playing up, you know, the the importance of the blood of Jesus may be a little too much, and, and you can't downplay the importance of obedience. Well, he's kind of on the wrong planet with that altogether. Here's the apostle John coming along and saying, I walked with him, I saw him with my own eyes, I touched him, and here's the message I'm proclaiming. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? And that's extremely consistent with the entire book of John and, you know, all of his writings. But it's really significant that I think what I'm really saying is there's not a gospel according to Jesus and a gospel according to Paul. There is the gospel, right? And John actually is a unique bridge there. He, he sees a unity because he's in both worlds. And he is basically proclaiming the exact same gospel as Paul, even though he walked with Jesus and saw the practical side of Jesus' ministry. He does not see a division between those. So I think it's a really important point that the guy that walked and talked and his hands handled and touched him and they ate together and all of these things, that when he emerges into his apostleship and his ministry, He's proclaiming the gospel of Christ and him crucified and the power of the Christ and him resurrected. So, uh, really great. Um, okay. So, one of the things he talks quite a bit about in these first four, vo- for first four verses is the person of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? What was he like? He walked around with him, he touched him, he saw things with his own eyes, he was an eyewitness. And so what does the Apostle John say about the person of Jesus? He says, he who was from the beginning. And the word beginning is the Greek word arche, which indicates not simply a beginning in time, but a beginning in authority. We get uh, uh, the word like monarchy and oligarchy, archy from from that, that word. And so, arche, uh, A-R-C-H-E, as well as the word archaeology, which is kind of a chronological beginning. Um, so, he sees Jesus as being not toward the beginning, but from the beginning. It's a very clear indication of the deity of Christ. Uh, he also saw him as a real physical person as well. So he's the word made flesh. He is the, the, the word from the beginning of time and the beginning of everything come to be a man. 
You know, I'm just going to reflect on that for a second. Because you think, how can God become man? Well, God is God. He can do anything he wants to. Right? But one of the things that we see here, and I think this is one of the points on here, is that Jesus is the son of the father. This is a very important part of Jesus' identity and of the father's identity. I've really been impressed with this point that if we only and mainly see God as a creator, then God defined as a creator, God would define himself as a creator, which means there has to be creation for God to have identity. But God doesn't first identify himself as a creator, he first identifies himself as a father and a son. Right? So uh, there's a unity. That's what we call the Trinity. It's triune. He, the Father is God and the Son is God, and yet the Father is the Father and loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And there's a, a, a relationship like that. And so we can look to God as being a loving Father. It's a real important distinction. Yeah, so the Jesus is the door of fellowship for us with the Father. Jesus... You know, it says in, in, in the book of John that Jesus is the door. He, he's God and he's man. And he's the doorway for us into fellowship with the infinite Father. So uh, that's the person of Jesus and that's who he's presenting. And uh, John was very clear about these things in the book of John. He's very clear about these things here that... Jesus isn't just a normal person. He is Jesus Christ, the uniquely anointed one, the only begotten of God. All right. Um, you know, he also makes the point in these first four, voices, first four verses a very powerful case that the purpose of all this, the whole book, is fellowship. That Jesus is sent so that we can have fellowship with the Father. And that John is writing this so we can have fellowship with him. He's proclaiming these things to us so we have fellowship with the apostles in knowing these things about God. Um, and we have fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. So all of these things are ha have happened and all of these things are being told to us in order that we can have fellowship. Now, what is fellowship? It means, basically, uh, that we have relationship. relationship. We have uh, common ground. We have... We share things together. We share our joys. We share our failures. We share our burdens. We share our difficulties. We share everything together. We exist not in isolation, but we exist in community. And the community is all important. Well, you know, I know that's one of the things also about fellowship that I love at Dakota Creek is that, you know, when the, uh, when the Pharisees were complaining about Jesus and trying to find, they're nitpicking, finding things wrong, they said, God, he, he, he eats with sinners. How dare he? I know. And it's like, Okay, it's enough that he kind of cavorts or, or a little bit hangs out with sinners, but he eats with them. And then we're going, we're looking forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb. So there's something very powerful and unique about sharing a meal together. Uh, there's, there's something very profound about that. And it, it is sharing, you know, fellowship is kind of gathering around a table in fact, if you think about communion, it's us gathering in community to kind of sup on Christ, his, his flesh and his blood. So, um, all right, so I think one of the things to draw out of just these first four, first four verses uh, in terms of fellowship is that Christianity in isolation isn't God's design. So 
if you're going to repent of something, it's not good enough. It's not going to work to go in your closet on your own and and just do that and then stay by yourself. Everything in the Christian life is meant for community. And he talks about it over and over in First John, if you watch for it. It's not just that we know... By this we know that we're like this, or by this we know that we're born of God, or by this we know this. It's not just in isolation that I know it, but we know it in community. So there's this uh, sense that our way of knowing is community. And if you think about it, the idea of love doesn't even make sense in isolation, because love is meant to be for someone, Right? And so the whole Christian experience is meant to be a community experience. And, th- and this is a huge theme in 1 John, and it's something that he gets into here. Um, so that's the first section, kind of the prologue of the whole book is 1 John 1, 1 through 4. So basically he says, I'm an eyewitness, I, I saw it with my own eyes, I touched Jesus with my hands, I... I Proclaim to you that he is God in the flesh, the Son of Father God, the only begotten. And I am writing this so you can have fellowship with God the Father, so you can have fellowship with God the Son, so you can have fellowship with all the rest of the believers. Um, All right, now we get into... An absolutely key passage to the whole book of 1 John. Uh, you, you cannot take any verses in the rest of 1 John out of context and, and forget that they reference this passage of 1 John 1, 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5 through 10 sets the stage for everything else he's about to say. So... I see people do this where they say, well, you know, uh, if you, it, it proves that you know God if you keep his commandments, so you better keep his commandments. I'm like, well, what about that if you say that you don't have any sin, then you're a liar? How does that work with this? Right? Is, is John schizophrenic? No. But you can't... You, that's, that's taking this out of context. So... It bears a lot of uh, it bears a lot of pondering and a lot of observation, a lot of careful study to look at this passage. It's a really, really key passage, and, and it's just wonderful. Okay, so he says that he starts off talking about that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So we have light and darkness. And then he's going to say there's kind of two kinds of people. There's the people that walk in the light, and there's the people that walk in the darkness. And they're in in great contrast to one another. All right? So the people that walk in the darkness have fake fellowship. They pretend at fellowship, but they don't really have fellowship. They say that they know God. They say that they serve God. They say that they have no sin. And yet, the truth is at odds with the things that they're saying. So they're saying things that aren't really true. All right? Because he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, we lie and do not practice the truth. All right? So they kind of have this, this, this pretense going on. I have no sin. Well, they do have sin. They're just not owning up to it. Um, And so, what ends up happening when you're in the darkness this way is that you have this fake persona. A fake persona that measures up to what you think people's expectations are. Because you think people have these expectations. So we go to church and we put our best foot forward and we put on our smiling faces, which isn't wrong. And we pretend like we have no problems and we hide everything that's kind of going on with this. And so what we end up doing is our relationships with others aren't based on our true self. It's based on a false persona that we think is more presentable to people. And people are not relating to me. 
They're relating to my false persona that I think is better suited for public consumption. Right? And in that sense, when I'm walking around doing that that way, I live in darkness because I'm not letting anybody see anything that's really true about me. I'm hiding that and then saying things that are different about me. I'm saying I don't have any problems. I'm saying I don't have any sin. And I might give lip service to it and say, well, you know, theoretically, all of sin and fall short. I have an Adamic sin nature. But, you know, right now I'm really great. Impression management. Yeah. And so it's all based on this fake persona. It's my, my false projected self that you're relating to. And I'm scared if a little piece of my real self will crack through there and you might, it might, might come out into the light and you might see it because I run the danger that you might not be a believer in Jesus. You might not be a person who believes that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for my true, sinful, flawed, imperfect self, and that you're not going to have perfect love for me. You're going to have imperfect love, which means what you're going to have is you're going to have conditional love that's ready when it sees these things to end the relationship. That you have rules of judgment to judge whether or not I am worthy of continuing in relationship with you. Because you're a good person. That's all I know about you. All I know about you is your false persona, right? And so I figure you're a really great person. You don't have these kind of problems. And I'm scared to let you know because what's going to happen? You're rightly, because you're such a wonderful person, you're going to have boundaries. And you're going to say, I really can't have that around me. Now, am I saying that we can't ever have boundaries? I'm not saying that. I have no idea how to measure that out. I know that there's people that scare me to death that I would just, I don't know what to do with them. Okay? I have no idea how that works. And you know what? That's one of the things that I just confess. All right? I confess it. Light represents what is known and seen and apparent. And darkness represents that which is not seen and which is hidden and which is secret. See, I think, I think that John, uh, that's a good question. I think John is drawing the lines. And I don't mind camping out on this a little bit because it's really important. John is drawing the lines in this real unexpected way. He's drawing this crazy lines because we think the lines are in terms of morality. Right? We think the line is drawn in terms of who behaves well and who does not behave well. But actually, he draws the line a different way because everybody is a sinner and nobody behaves well. And that's not theoretical. In specific, true, genuine, day-by-day ways, we behave in ways that are not right. We behave in ways that are selfish. We behave in ways that are self-serving and inward. And what he's saying is the way out of that isn't to pretend that I'm not like that, but the, the, the dividing line between it is to believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and that I can let on that I'm imperfect. Right? I can let on that I spend way too much time watching TV. And the, and, and the way out of it isn't necessarily say, okay, I'm going to stop doing that, but I'm not going to let on that it was ever like that. You know what I mean? And, 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 and then think that the whole shenanigans is over with. Because, you know, the same things that drove, drive us in the past to have done those kinds of behaviors are the same things that are going to drive us in the future to do those kind of behaviors. And the way out isn't to resolve, and we're going to really get into this in a minute, isn't to, in an under human resolve, say, I, I'm going to stop, you know? I'm going to make this promise to God that from now on I've repented, right? No, that's not how repentance works. It, it, It is for me to come into the light and confess, right? To confess. And confession 
isn't repentance. It's, it, it's uh, simpler than that. It's just to admit it. it, it may, confession makes no promises. Right? When I confess, I'm not promising to change. I'm just admitting how rotten I am. Actually, confession is more honest because it doesn't pretend to make a plan to change myself. It releases control of myself. I'm saying, you know, I've been trying to be God. I've been trying to control myself and control everybody else and try to manipulate the world to be the way that I want everything to go. And I ended up being a bad, cruel, mean, selfish, hurtful God, even to myself. So I'm letting go of that. I don't know how to repent. And it's not, it's, it's, it's also honest in the sense that you're, you're not saying that right is wrong and wrong is right. And you're not saying, oh, grace means there's freedom so I can go and, you know, I can go and, and cavort around with women I'm not married to or, or take drugs or be a drunkard or whatever and God just loves me and it's all okay. No, God thinks it's important enough that those things are declared evil. They, Jesus had to die for them. But your acceptance isn't based on how much that you, you conquer your, your harmful habits. It is based on your belief that the blood of Jesus is enough for you. Exactly, exactly. Right? Exactly. Right? Oh, yeah, he died for our sins, right? And so the punishment's all done with, and it's all, any, any, any well, we're going to get into verse 9. It's really crucial, we're going to get into So let me, let me go here. All right, so we're still talking about this, and, and we talked about people that are under the darkness. Now we're talking about that dynamics of, of true fellowship when you're walking in the light. So when you're walking in the light, you have truthful talk. So if you notice, when you're walking in the light, there's no claim of fellowship with God. Now think about that. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? But you don't go around saying, I have fellowship with God. Instead you say, well, I'm not sure what the Lord's will is here. Right? Because that's honest. Right? I'm not sure I'm hearing God on this. I'm not sure I really am on God's side with this. It's just an admission of the truth. I don't know that I know God. You know, think about Elijah. And this is a powerful prophet that can call fire down out of the sky and slay all these prophets of Baal. And then he gets scared. Jezebel comes along and says, Ah, I want the head of... uh, uh, Elijah on a platter, right? And he gets scared like a little baby and goes running, right? And then he's in the wilderness, and you know what? This powerful prophet of God does not know the voice of God, right? But he has this big giant thunder, and, the, and God wasn't in it. Then, you know, uh, an earthquake, God's not in it. And then there's the still small voice. And that's the Lord. Right? And so Elijah wasn't making a claim of having fellowship with God. He was waiting until God really actually presented himself for real to him. Right? And I think we need that same humility. You know, it's very easy to claim they have fellowship with God, and what isn't needful is just to walk in the light. God doesn't require that of us. You know, the Word says that He is the one who loves us, and this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. Isn't that awesome? So we're really free. You know, the, the, the highest and, and biggest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you know what? That biggest, most important commandment is the commandment that Paul is talking about when he says, through the law, no flesh will be justified in sight because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law says you should love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you know what that does if you're honest and admit it? I'm sunk. I don't love God like that. 
I don't even know anything. I'm an idiot. Right? That's the truth. Right? I need to be saved. That's what that verse says to me, if I'm honest. All he's asking is for us to be honest. That's walking in the light. Just to be honest about it. I'm a sinner. I don't know God. I can't claim that. All right? So, when we're in, in fellowship and walking in the light, we present our true but flawed self in our relationships. Right? Like, like me and Kim. And I love Kim. And I know some stuff that's wrong with her, and I just love her all the more. I mean it. And you know what? And she knows stuff. And you know what? What could possibly be more liberating that? Because she knows I'm not going to reject her. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. And you know what it's based on? It's based on being honest. It's based on being honest. It's so scary because what we're used to is walking in the darkness and pretending that we know God and that we're we're very good, moral, upstanding people and all this stuff. And maybe we are a little bit. But you know what? In secret, maybe we're not. And that is where fellowship lies. That's what this verse says. Walking in the light is all about admitting that you're a sinner in confession. That's where it all exists. Right? And you become this solid rock. I, I, I'll get to right. You be, our relationships become this solid rock because what can assault you after you know everything about each other? Right. Nothing. Right? And I'm not saying you have to be crazy. And like we, we knew this guy, and he got up in front of the church, and he had this porn addiction, and he got up in front of everybody and confessed all this like heinous stuff, and his wife didn't even know. And he got up and did it like that, and it destroyed their marriage and did all this stuff. And there's not, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. So there are safe ways to have this kind of fellowship that you don't have to get crazy and just start. You know, part of the confession is to say, I confess that I'm really rotten and I'm not ready to confess that right now. <laughs> That's a true confession. No right, you know what I mean? And when I get to know you a little better and I feel like I can trust that and I feel like that you're not going to go blabbing it around or something, you know what I mean? Then, okay. <laughs> right? I mean, there's right ways to do some of this, right? But you know what? There's nothing wrong with us getting together and realizing that we're all very flawed people. Okay? And, and it's not just heinous sins either. It's just little irritations. It's true. And AA is a great ins- uh, uh, instance of all this because... You know, everyone's going to an AA meeting, and um, they're not trying to hide the fact that they're an alcoholic. They're there because they're stinking alcoholic, right? Well, you know what? Let's face it. We are Christians, and we're in the church, and we're gathered together here because we're sinners. Amen. Okay? And so, you know what? If you're going to be shocked because I'm a sinner, this is a bad place for you. You know, and the other thing is some of the things... Like, we need it all the time and all these... Like, the blood of Jesus is this magic bowl that kind of solves everything. It really is. But one of the things is, you know, like somebody um, might say something derogatory about me, right? And I don't know, but then I find out about it, right? And so this isn't some deep, dark, hidden sin. It's just something like that. But you know what? When I find out, it's like, okay, but Jesus died for that sin too, and he died for me, and actually what they were saying was actually probably 99% true, right? Because... Or it wouldn't have gotten your attention in the first place. Right, I know, right? <laughs> right? I mean, gossip is like 99%. It's effective because it's real, right? People don't make up stuff. But I think the point is, is it's that it's not a law that we have to walk and, and confess everything all the time and this stuff. It's a freedom. Right. And that includes... That when you're afraid to share something, or it includes when you're not very good at confessing it, or you might confess it to God, but you're scared to confess it to someone else sometimes, that kind of thing. No, the blood of Jesus covers that too. But it enables things, and it strengthens things, and it's like oil to the gears when we walk in the light with each other. And the more we're, you know... We're probably not there yet where we're really walking in line with each other completely.
But as we get more and more to that, the stronger our relationships are going to be and the stronger that we're going to be walking in love with each other. Yeah, well, forgiveness is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a hard miracle. In fact, you know, the guy that that was lame and, and they lowered him through the roof, his friends lowered him through the roof, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. That was the scandal, and that was actually the difficult miracle. That was the miraculous thing that Jesus had to say. And then he said, you know, just because you're weak and you're stupid and you don't understand anything, in order that you may know that the Son of God, uh, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I mean, just with our family, there's things recently that it's just like so wonderful for things to come out in the light and then for 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 there to be grace applied. It's beautiful. It's so strengthening and healing. All right, so I, I really, I've said this so many times, and it's so, this is, this for me, out of 1 John, this is the key insight, the relationship between the blood of Jesus and our fellowship, right? He even says in 1 John 3, 23, he says, this is his commandment, not commandments, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of Jesus' Son and love one another. It's one commandment. How does that work? Why is that one commandment? It's one commandment because we have fellowship with each other because we believe in the power of the blood of Jesus for each other. Right? We tend to look at our relationships with each other and all these issues that we're talking about as this like piecemeal event. And God looks way more directly at you. He looks directly at you and all of your sins are carte blanche forgiven because it's this incredibly powerful eternal love for you directly. And that is the kind of love that I become a witness kind of of, I think, or a participant of. It's like if I have, if I think it's my responsibility to, to love JR directly, I might do it for a little while, but it's like I have this flashlight and the batteries are going to go dim. But if my love for JR is to say the Father loves him, that's like we're both walking out in the sunshine and getting sun, the sun shining on us all around. And that is a light that isn't of me. It's not my love. It's the Father's love for me and the Father's love for him. So I'm not the source, nor am I the responsible party that he's loved. I'm a witness that he's loved. I'm a witness that he's valued. Right? Whatever I'm doing that cuts me off from fellowship with God, whatever I imagine that thing is, whatever sin that is today, right? Well, it's not... It's probably not as bad as if I was directly hammering nails into his hands on the cross and actively murdering him. Maybe it is kind of like that, but you know what I'm saying. Nothing, it, it, and and he, even in that place, he was still expressing love to the people that were murdering him, right? So he's going to continue to love even when I'm sinning against him. I know that because that is what the cross says. The cross says he persists in love even though we murder him, right? And so as I'm, if, even when I'm sinning against him, I have an assurance that he continues to love me. And that is grace. It is one-way love. It is not dependent on my behavior. It is dependent on him loving me. Eventually, I will have a response to that. But I can also rest assured that my response will be imperfect until I'm in heaven and that he will continue to persist and love me. And my confidence is not in how well I respond. My confidence is in his persistence to continue to love me no matter what. The message in 1 John right here, it says, if we say that we have no sin, he doesn't say if we say that we Never sin. He says in the present tense, if we say that we have, present tense, no sin, then we lie. And then in, in verse 10, getting a little ahead of myself here, I, was, I have a whole slide just for this, but I'm going to say it now. Um, if we 
say that we have no sin, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. How do we make God a liar if we say we have no sin? We make God a liar if we say that we have no sin. I'll tell you why. Because God said that our sin required Jesus to die. And then we come along and say, well, it's not really that bad. You know, I'm a human. It's understandable. No, it's not understandable. It, it required Jesus to die. And our liberation doesn't, doesn't resolve by trying to play up how there's uh, reasons why we sin and there's like a, an explanation why we did this behavior, but it's not really that bad because we were driven because of our childhood or something. That's, that's playing it off. The real liberation comes in saying, I really chose evil. I loved it. I wanted it. I harmed others and harmed myself in my selfishness by choice just because I am an evil and bad person. And that is what I'm forgiven of. And that is how I'm walking in the light. When I walk in the light with that, I'm not just saying, oh, I have these things in my past that drove me to do some behaviors and it's not really that bad because, you know, I had a bad childhood. No, I'm saying I'm really bad. I'm actually, regardless of my childhood, I am fostering a bad childhood for my children. Right? And so that's what I'm forgiven of, is real, active, chosen, terrible evil. And when I confess that, then I say, God is right. Jesus should have died for that. Either Jesus dies for it or I die for it. All right, we're going to talk about confession. Verse 9. In verse 9 it says, If we confess our sins, He... This is so powerful. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right? So what is our part right there? What's our part? What is it? Confession, right? It's not repentance. It's not a promise to change. It is an admission of the truth. Confession. Okay? It's confession. It's when somebody, you know, in the movie is is, uh, tied to the chair and the... The CIA spy person is interrogating them, and they finally get down to where they're torturing them in order to get the truth out of them. And finally, they confess. Right? Okay, confession. The real, actual truth. That's all we're asked to do. And what does it say? It says, if we confess our sins, this is a promise. He is faithful and righteous to... Forgive us our sins and to cleanse cleanse us from a little bit of righteousness. From all unrighteousness, right? Right? So, whose job is it to forgive? Whose job is it, think about this, whose job is it to cleanse? Does that mean we're off the hook? I don't know. I think it does mean we're off the hook. Because I think that... If we confess, then he will cleanse us. He promised. Right. Now, does that mean that if you have unconfessed sin in your life, that he will not forgive and cleanse? He already has forgiven and he's already cleansed. Right, because in verse 7, he says, the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. He already said that as a blanket statement. So that's true. So. All, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You know what? Let me just tell you this. The entire tenor and happiness and freedom and simplicity of your life hinges 
on whether you actually believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all unrighteousness or whether you secretly have reservations about that. You either believe that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses from all unrighteousness, like it says in verse 7, or you don't. If you harbor secret doubts about whether the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, then you will be perpetually in a struggle wondering about your assurance and wondering wondering about the perfection and persistence of God's love for you. Okay? And it, it, it colors everything you do and the kinds of decisions you make and the way that you walk and the way you spend your money and the where you go to church and who you have friendships with and how your ministry goes. And if you secretly harbor doubts about that, it cuts you off from so many blessings God has for you because the, you're, what you're really saying in that doubt is, I think there's something I can do. There's something... I can still do that's bigger and more important than Jesus dying for me. There's something I can do that can trump the blood of Jesus. I am saying that self-effort is still king over me. I'm saying that I don't secretly, in a little tiny sliver of my mind, I don't believe that stuff. Right, because you're free. You're not, you're not bound to do anything because you're already completely accepted. His blood is enough. And so what you're doing, you're doing from love. You're doing from freedom. You're doing from joy because you're not coerced to, by punishment anymore. That's what he says in, in 1 John 4. He says, um, uh, uh, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. But we believe the love that God has for us. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And the thing about confession is, I, I have all the faith in the world to believe that all my sins in the past are all forgiven. And I have all the faith in the world to believe that in the future, everything's going to be awesome. And that God is going to forgive me of everything. And I'll be accepted in heaven. But what I don't have faith about is in the here and now Today, right now, this particular sin that's hanging over my head today, I think that I have this wedge between me and God experientially right now, right? So I need confession so I can say, I believe that the blood of Jesus is enough for my current state, right? That's confession, and that is what, when, when you say the blood of Jesus is enough for this today, right now, then he, he can cleanse and forgive and, and do all these things in your present experience. And I think you're right. I think the, the idea of apologizing is an, it's a really great kind of feet on the ground way to think about it. I think one of the things that people have problems with the grace message is they think what it means is you're being flippant about it, Right. They think it means you're just like, oh, Jesus forgives me of everything, so blah, 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 you know, it doesn't matter what I do because Jesus forgives me of everything. Well, actually, I think it's the exact opposite. Can, belief in grace allows you to go really deep in your confession and to be really present in the moment with your confession, right? You know, like if I'm walking, like this was, you know, didn't happen to me, it did. But, um, you know, I'm walking in the mall, and I'm walking past Victoria's Secret, and I'm like, I'm not going to look. Right? And, you know, I'm walking by there, and, you know, of course I look. It's like, wow. You know, look at that. Right? <laughs> and then, so I'm walking past her, and I'm like, you know, you know, I just have, I have, I know. I have no control over that, right? And it's like, well. all of our Yeah, right. <laughs> And you know, and you think, okay, if I wasn't walking in grace, I would think I'm kind of cut off from God all of a sudden, and I wouldn't be able to pray or confess anything about that. But grace allows me to enter into confession, and grace allows me to think that God has kindness for me, 
despite that, so I can actually enter into this really deep confession. I was like, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't know why. And it's like, well, you know, why you need that excitement right now? It's like, well, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you have secret resentments about, you know, I don't know. It's like, oh, so you can just really go deep when you're under grace because the blood of Jesus is enough. And you can enter into blessing very quickly and you can very, deal very directly with some really amazing deep stuff that, that's impossible if you think otherwise, right? If you, if you kind of have this doubt about whether the blood of Jesus is sufficient, it actually cuts you off from real confession. The gospel does not suspend justice at all. The gospel executes justice. The gospel isn't just this kind of vapid forgiveness and sweeping under the rug and forget about it. The gospel says your evil is real evil and God in his great love is not going to let one shred of it go. Because if you let one shred of evil go, it marginalizes the suffering of the person who was harmed by it. And he will never do that because he loves us, right? And so the gospel is nothing about the suspension of justice. The gospel is all about the execution of justice on our behalf. Which was done on the cross. Right? And so, you know, if Hitler trusted Christ in the sufficiency of his blood, there's still justice executed for all the evil that he did. You know? And I have my doubts that he did trust Christ. So he is bearing the brunt of his own justice on his own head. Confession... The important thing, and we're we're going to wrap it up here. Confession is so important because here's what it is. It's trusting God. It It is admitting the truth about yourself to the Lord, about your flaws and your sins and your evil and all of the things that you're secretly hoping no one ever finds out about you. And it's jumping off the cliff, kind of, right? It's saying, I am going to just admit that to God, and I'm trusting God to clean this up. I'm going to let God take care of forgiving me. I'm not going to go down the stupid game, the road, of trying to pretend like I forgive myself. Okay? I don't know how to forgive myself. I'm a bad God, and I'm bad at forgiving. I'm bad at forgiving myself. I'm really bad at that. Right? I have a much easier time with self-condemnation. Mm-hmm. All right? So forgiveness is up to him. And the cleansing's up to him. I don't know how to cleanse myself. I, you know, that's St. Augustine's confession. The, the, the root of his confession was like, Lord, forgive me of all my sins because I feel in my heart that I'm still enthralled with all my sins. I love my sins. I wear them like a warm blanket. I find refuge in my sin. I like it. I don't know how to stop that. Right? That's what he forgives. That's what we're seeking for God to cleanse. And I am not smart enough to cleanse myself. I can barely even scratch my own back. I sure can't give myself a a haircut or do my own dentist work or do surgery on myself. Right? I can, I, I, you you know what I mean? So, you know what? I'm sure not going to entrust the, the health of my soul to myself. I'm an idiot, right? I don't know anything. I'm a bad God. I am a very bad God. I want God to be God. I want I want Jesus to be the Lord of me in the sense that I want Jesus to clean me up. I want to take all my crap to the throne of grace so I can receive mercy and grace to help me in my time of need. And you know what? In my experience, you know what works? Taking it to God. You know, that's what works. Nothing cleanses you like that. If you just admit everything... And stop pretending like that, that's not a problem. And, and the more that you're transparent with the Lord and transparent with the important people in your life and walk in the light with these things and stop pretending like that you're something when you're nothing or to stop pretending like you're righteous when you're unrighteous, right? 
It's counterintuitive, but that is the way toward godliness. Change is a gift, not a requirement. It's a gift. Transformation is a gift. Right? And you know what? It's not on you to be perfectly transformed. Okay? If you have things in your life that are still in operation over you, and they probably will be one way or the other, something is going to be in operation in your life uh, until the day that you're in heaven. Right? Um, That change in those areas is a gift. That doesn't mean that you're resolved from fault, but it kind of does because Jesus died for it, right? But it's a gift. So receive it as a gift and rejoice in it and seek it that way. Confess and seek transformation and change from his hand because he's smarter than you, all right? And forgiveness is not withdrawn for lack of cleansing, Okay, your lack of transformation does not disqualify the blood of Jesus over your life, right? It's perfect love that persists past your imperfection. You know what's going to end up transforming you really completely and really perfectly and really well? His perfect love for you. His perfect love for you What's going to transform you. Isn't that awesome? You know what? Why is this such a newsflash? The Christian life is all about trust in God. It's giving up on trusting yourself and trusting God. Is that such a newsflash? It makes so much sense. Well, that's the thing, and we're going to get to that in chapter uh, 4. He says, we have come to know and have believed the love that God has for us. And that's the crucial point. You can know the love that God has for us, but until you the light bulb turns on and you really believe the unstoppable, one-way, total, supernatural, infinite, eternal love that God has for you, you're still operating in the finite. And the finite means that you expect it's going to come to an end. The finite means you don't think his love will persist. There's something you can still do to break it. That's not faith. Right? That's, that's, that's still me being God. Uh, this is why I think the main theme of 1 John is grace and community. Right? Because it means that I believe that you can hear my crap and not reject me. When I come to believe that you can hear my crap and my struggles and my failures and my sin and not reject me, we have entered together into eternal love. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Right? And when I believe the same thing for you, you don't have to have fear about confessing to me anymore. Because it's not, it's not, the axe isn't ready to fall on our relationship if you don't measure up. Instead, I can listen to your failures and your sins with the intent to accept you and to forgive you and to heal you because I believe in the power of Jesus' blood for you. That's so awesome. There is no community without that. That's how come Jesus said, Um, that they will know that we're Christians because of our love. Because love, in that way, is utterly impossible without Christ. It's impossible. People say, oh, no, but you you can love somebody without that. You know, there's some other's love. You know what? It's also conditional. It's also endable. It's all so fraught with, with traps and minds and selfish interests, you know? You know, you look at some of these helicopter mothers and men, they think they are the best parent on earth and they're doing everything possible to be the best parent for their kid. They are smothering them to death and not allowing them to have the freedom because they don't, re- they don't love them, they love themselves being their parent. Does that make sense? 
But when you release all that control and you let people fail, you can, you can release control when it's under, under grace because I can let you fail. And you know what I have to say? Better the mess of freedom and grace and love and forgiveness than the control and the death and the staleness of legalism. Thank you for listening to this message from Therefore Now Ministries. You can find many more messages and find a schedule of upcoming speaking and teaching and music events, as well as a great wealth of grace-based ministry materials at thereforenow.com.